Hey, good morning. Welcome to church. It's good to be with you today. My name is Matthew. I'm the pastor here at Trinity Eastside, and it's a blessing to, to get to spend this time this, uh, this morning. Um, as Beth said, I'm very, very excited about what's going to happen after this service, which is going to be right outside these, these doors. We're going to get to sing together for the first time in months. We're going to sing together, and we're going to... Um, we're going to get to recite some liturgy together and eat together, and I hope you'll, I hope you'll join us. Um, the, uh, uh, I'm going to read to us from the, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22, verses 15 and following, and, and then we'll pray and we'll, we'll jump into our, our text from today. And then the Pharisees went and plotted to entrap him in what he said. And so they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians saying, teacher, we know that you are sincere and teach the way of God in accordance with truth and show deference to no one for you do not regard uh, people with partiality. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? But Jesus was aware of their malice and he said, why are you putting me to the test? You hypocrites. Show me the coin used for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And then he said to them, well, whose head is it? Is on it. And whose title? And they answered, the emperor's. And then he said to them, well, give therefore to the emperor the things that are the emperor's and to God the things that are God's. And when they heard this, they were amazed and they left him and went away. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We'll pray together. Jesus um, your name is beautiful. It is wonderful and it is powerful. It is a name above all names. And um, Lord, I pray that the, the, the grandeur and the majesty and the, the depth and the goodness and of your name, of your power, of your kingdom would come today and capture our hearts and imaginations and stir us and remind us, Lord, of the safety of the world in which we inhabit because it is your world. So Jesus, we give you this space and we ask Holy Spirit, come and breathe in us and move our hearts closer into alignment with God, God's will for our lives as citizens of his kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so we are talking today about politics because Jesus is. And um, for the next uh, three weeks, um, God willing, or I guess three weeks from now, we, we should know the outcome of the presidential election. Um, but the next 16 days are going to be exhausting for our country. And there is good reason to believe that in 16 days, we still won't know. I'm not trying to be a sensationalist by any sense. So just the reality is like we're living through very strange times and we just don't know what's going to happen uh, in, in 16 days. And I um, hear in our voices, your voices, um, as we were doing the political Q&A a couple of weeks ago and Ginny and I were kind of opening up, there's just, there's a weariness in so many of us around these things uh, right now. I know that some people are so tired of politics. I think we all are tired of politics. And some of you are so tired of politics being in the church, in this church. You just want to break from it. And I totally understand. I, 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 do ne I do not ever want to be a church that is controlled by the news cycle. We can't constantly be in reacting, uh, reactive towards whatever, whatever the world is saying. This is the most important thing. You must be thinking about this. Uh, and yet at the same time, 
we have to look at a text like this and, and recognize that one of the things Jesus gives to the church is political um, stewardship, like political influence to steward. And the question isn't whether or not you and I have influence. The question is, what are we doing uh, with it? And as we've been thinking now for months about what it is to be citizens of God's kingdom, one of the things that we have to embrace in that moment is that there's a political stewardship that's involved in being citizens of God's kingdom. Just because you don't have allegiance in the kingdoms of this world doesn't mean we're not participants in civic engagement. Doesn't mean we don't actually have a role to play uh, in this. And Jesus shows us what that role is. And it's not the way the church normally does politics. Thanks be to God. Uh, Jesus actually has a different, a different way for us as he always does. So Jesus is in one sense, um, he's not a political person, meaning that he's, he's not politicking here. And yet at the same time, Jesus was remarkably political in his ministry and life. He, he was revolutionary, but his revolution looked nothing like the revolutions uh, of the world. And so in this, in this uh, moment, this episode, these people who have, who do not have his good at heart, they come to try to, it says to entrap him, to trick him. And this is how they're going to do it. They ask him a question about a tax but not like just a general tax on like goods and services, the sorts of things that were collected regionally by tax collectors. They ask him about a very specific tax. It's called, it's called the head tax or the poll tax. And it was a tax that was not paid regionally, but was paid directly to Rome, to the Caesar. And it was sort of a like, thanks for letting me be alive another year tax. It was a, it was a thanks for the honor of being a member, a, 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 a citizen in some cases, but also just like a living human being on the earth in which, in which you Caesar are ruling. In that sense, it was a tribute. In fact, some of the other gospels that tell this exact same story use that word. Should we give tribute to Caesar? Now, in most of the Roman world at this time, the way that tribute to Caesar was given was through the head tax, but also through imperial cult worship, uh, through um, serving in the armed forces, uh, through religious ceremonies and festivals that were all centered around Caesar worship. But the Romans had figured out that the Jewish people were not going to play along with these rules. They were not going to like be easy to persuade. And honestly, it was more effort to try to force them to worship the emperor than it was worth. But they did still uh, require this tax, this head tax. And it was a reminder, a, a, a regular constant reminder to the Jewish people that they were not governed by themselves, that they were, that they were essentially slaves and servants of another oppressive force. And 27 years before this conversation is happening with Jesus, uh, when he was just a little boy in Nazareth, there was a man named Judas of Galilee, uh, Judas the Galilean. And he actually decided that we're not going to pay this tax anymore. He started an uprising. He started a revolt. Interestingly, he rode into Jerusalem. He cleared the temple. He said, the kingdom of God is here now and we're not going to pay the head tax anymore. And then he was killed for it. And so now we are 27 years later and Jesus has just cleared the temple. He's been declaring the kingdom of God to be a lived reality for all of us for years now. And now they come to him and say, well, what about the poll tax? And Jesus is sort of cornered in this moment. He's, he's being pigeonholed, which is how the political game works. It's what they're always trying to do. If I can squeeze you into a box, then I trap you. And Jesus refuses to give a yes or no, yes or no answer to this question. And in so doing, he shows us that actually there is another way. There is another way for us to do this. There's another way for us to be engaged civically in this season, in this time, in this world. And Jesus is going to show us the way. He avoids three things in his answer that we are as citizens of God's kingdom also called to avoid. And this is sort of a, uh, a, a, an edited version of a list that, that Tim Keller came up with years ago. But Jesus refuses political simplicity. He refuses political evasion and he, he avoids political primacy. 
And if we're going to follow Jesus, we have to avoid these three things too. So first citizens of God's kingdom, avoid political simplicity. Jesus refuses to answer the question as a yes or no uh, answer. And that is what the political game is always forcing your hand and my hand to do. It's what it's always saying. Like you either are for this or you're against, or you're against us. Like you're either on our side or you're not. You're either our friend or ally or you're our enemy, but there's no middle space. But our inability, therefore, as a people to critique our own side from within without fearing that we're always going to be conceding ground to the other side, to the enemy. Um, this is, this is a, this is a problem for Christians because what it does is it says the politics, like the, the, the partisanship, it makes it, it makes everything so reductionistic. Uh, what it refuses to acknowledge is that actually most of the problems that plague us as a society are deeply complex and nuanced and don't have straightforward partisan answers to them. It also re- ignores the fact that there is underlying sin in most of our motives, even the, the things that appear to be good. And finally, uh, it, it, it actually refuses to acknowledge that the image of God is present in all people. And therefore every person deserves respect. Every person, regardless of what they may think about this or that issue. Uh, our, our Bishop Todd Hunter uh, said it this way in an article he recently released. I'm just going to read the whole quote. He says, don't get reduced. Don't let the exigencies of the political cycle, the rhetoric of campaign managers and the talking heads who do their bidding on radio or television lead you to justify harming others for the cause. When we close ranks in our echo chambers, we become even more insular, defensive, retaliatory, more us versus them in our thinking as Christ followers. We don't want to let divisive political systems lead us to view our fellow Americans or even our church friends, those with whom we commonly relate and may someday need as the enemy. That is the political game. And it is antithetical to the reality of the kingdom of God. This means that we can stop using the language of war. Our brothers and sisters in Christ is never our enemy. Jesus refuses to be boxed into this. There, there is oftentimes presented to you and me in political discourse, a false choice. Either you support justice for marginalized people, or you support justice for unborn children. Either you believe in personal responsibility for people, or you believe in systemic oppression. Either you support, uh, you support communities that are, that are disproportionately policed and discriminated against, or you support police officers who oftentimes feel called to protect their community in ways that are actually good for the community and not destructive. For instance, you and I have to be willing to say like, you don't have to choose between these things. Jesus does not choose between these things. He instead calls us to be a people who are willing to say both and yes to this, yes to that. I'm not going to be overly simplistic. I'm not going to be reductionistic. Um, as soon as we start saying things like, if this person gets elected, if this happens in the Supreme Court, if the Senate goes this way, then the end of America, the death of America, as soon as we do that, we are justifying violence, the very violence we're seeing on our streets right now. It becomes a basis for anything goes hate-filled interactions. That is now what is upon us. It's not strange for you and me to feel maybe like out of step with what's going on politically. And what I mean by that is to feel a little politically homeless. It's not strange for you and me to feel like neither candidate in this election, for example, is home base for you. That's, that's not strange. There's often, there's, that, that, that's normal. In fact, we, I think we should all be feeling that to some extent. Sometimes voting feels like such a burden because we just don't feel great about either one. 
But that leads us to the second thing that Jesus avoids. Jesus avoids and citizens of God's kingdom must avoid political evasion. It's easy to feel burned out. It's easy to feel disillusioned. It's easy to feel like there's no clear choice. And so because of that, I'm not going to do anything with this. But Jesus does not sidestep this question. He actually directly answers it. He refuses. He refuses to say, I'm not here to talk about the emperor. I'm here to talk about the kingdom. And for those with ears to hear, he gives a subversive, but a clear answer. We talked about this during the Q and a, but I just think it's important to notice again, uh, this, the reason that we cannot avoid the reason that we cannot um, be politically evasive, just ignore it. Act like it doesn't matter. Don't vote. Don't, don't pay attention is because God cares about our political leaders. The Bible says again and again, God has actually some sort of a say in who is given power. The sovereign Lord rules over the kingdoms of men and he gives power to whom he will. And, and, And not just that, but God cares about all forces that affect his children, his creatures. And and so he cares about the things that are disproportionately disadvantaging some or oppressing some, suppressing some. God cares about these things. And therefore, politics, as Michael Ware says from the end campaign, politics is a forum for loving your neighbor. Politics becomes not a thing that I avoid, but a place where I can actually exercise love for another. We don't have to question whether or not we have political influence. We all have it. The question is, is what are we doing with it? Are we being faithful with it? Jesus models for us that citizens of God's kingdom avoid political evasion but we are willing instead to step into it. Why? Because we believe that God has, has ordained it in such a way that this can be a tool for blessing people, that this can be a way in which I actually actively fulfill the great commandment to love my neighbor as myself. And yet at the same time, as I said at the Q and a, and I think this is so important. We have to, re- we have to recognize that oftentimes in discipleship, following Jesus does not is not about outcomes. It's about faithfulness. It's about willing to, it's about a willingness to do the thing that is, that we're called to do, even if we're not sure it's going to matter or if it's going to make it the difference we want it to make. It doesn't mean that we're pessimistic or, or nihilistic. It, it actually means that we continue to choose and to believe that something can be used for good. But our faithfulness to this is actually what's, what's key here. Not, not outcomes. That's actually what God is looking at the heart. What is going on in my heart? Jesus models for us that citizens of God's kingdom avoid just evading this altogether. And then finally, citizens of God's kingdom avoid uh, political primacy. The final trap that Jesus avoids is perhaps, I think, the most pernicious in the church today, and that is primacy. Uh, Jesus' answer is masterful. In one sentence, he acknowledges the reality of secular forces and the role they play in our lives, our responsibility to live in their system peacefully. And at the same time, he refuses to swear primary allegiance to it. And here's how he does it. And this is great. I love this. He says, show me the coin that you use to pay this tax. And, and it's a denarius. They show him the coin. Uh, he doesn't have one in his pocket, by the way. He's not carrying money at this point because he's poor. But these people who are there to trap him with this political question, they're the ones who have the coins in their pocket. And, and they say, here it is. They give him a denarius. Now we have these today. And I don't mean like we have like, we have something like a denarius. I mean, like we literally have these coins. They're silver. They have Tiberius's head stamp on, stamped on them. They have an inscription on them. We have thousands of them that we found. And you can even buy them on eBay. I, I, I looked this week. Anyway, so you, on this coin, there is the head of, 
Caesar Tiberius. And then there's a statement, the son of the God Augustus. And then on the back, it says Pontifus Maximus, which is high priest. So Jesus says, well, who, what, what coin do you use? Oh, denarius. Show me the coin. So holds it up. Well, whose likeness, whose image and inscription is on this? And they say, well, Caesar, Caesar's Tiberius. So he holds his coin up. King Caesar, King Tiberius, son of the gods, high priest. This is Jesus Christ holding this up. And he says, well, whose icon is on it? Whose image? And they say, well, Caesar's. He says, well, give to Caesar the things that bear his image. Now, interestingly, this coin actually was Caesar's coin. In fact, all coins were minted from the royal treasury. So when he says, give to Caesar, and actually he says, and the word's really important. He says, render unto Caesar, render. And the reason it's so important is because they come to him and say, should we give tribute like a gift? Should we give tribute? And he says, no, you shouldn't give. You should render. In other words, you should, and the word literally means in Greek, you should pay back. Give to Caesar the things that belong to Caesar. Anything that has the image of Caesar on it, that bears his image belongs to Caesar. But the things that bear God's image belong to God. In other words, in one sentence, he says, there are certain realities in this world that you and I live in. This world has things in it that bear the image of the empire on it. They belong to the empire. And you're responsible civically to engage in those ways. But those of you who bear the image of God, which would be everyone, your ultimate allegiance belongs to him, not to Caesar, not to the emperor. Pay back the things that belong to Caesar, those which have his icon on it, but you are a living icon of God. And you pay back God what belongs to him. For many of us today and right now, um, for many of us today, I know that politics holds a seat of primacy in our life. There's a lot of energy and angst going in the hearts of many people who are watching this right now because of the election that's coming up, because of the uncertainty. You know, in 1960, they did a survey where they asked uh, parents, what would be the deal breaker that would, that would uh, so where you would refuse to let your child marry uh, a person of a different blank. And in 1960, they were race and religion. I, I, I will not let my child marry a person of a different race or of another uh, religion. Now today, interfaith and interracial marriages are far more common. And, and that's a really great thing. But today, when they did the survey today, the thing that people said, this would be a deal breaker for me is I would never want my child to marry a person who was a member of a different political party. Now, Peter Kreft, the Catholic thinker says, and I think this is, this is a word for our day. He says, when religion dies, politics takes its place. And this is the reality that you and I are living in today. The primacy, and don't think that this is something that lives on just the right or just the left. This actually has its grip around both sides of the aisle. And there are many people watching this, many of us for whom we have an, a dis, disproportionate and an inordinate amount of hope and, and expectation and desire around political outcomes. And I just want to say to you as, as your brother, um, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Like, in other words, engage in the system, be a part of it. Vote. Early voting started this week. Vote. Vote in person. Participate. But, but do not render to Caesar the things that are God's. And your heart does not belong to this world. Your heart does not belong to this empire. Our hearts do not belong to this political system. 
Jesus is constantly reminding us that we are at once in this earth and yet also a part of a greater thing. Too much of our identity today as Americans is attached to politics because we go to politics to meet our needs. We go to it to meet our needs for significance or transcendence or importance. We look to it to answer some sort of a deep question about ourselves, or we just look to find some solidarity in it. Or we go to it because it fuels some anger in us. It's probably about something else, but it gives us something to target all that rage towards. As Michael Ware says, the problem is not that we take politics too seriously. The problem is that we take it seriously in all the wrong ways. If it is an instrument for good on the earth, if it is a way which I love my neighbor, if it's the opportunity to be fulfillers of the great commandment, then it is something we should take seriously. But not in a way where we swear ultimate allegiance to. But rather in ways that love and uplift our neighbors, that do not seek to better ourselves, but seek to better others. That choose to walk in a way of Jesus who laid down his life, even under the full weight and force of an oppressive regime so that he could lift all of us into his kingdom. And I want us to close by praying the Lord's prayer, even though if you show up to church, we're going to pray it again in a minute, but I know not everyone's going to be able to come. And also I think it's really good for us in this moment to, to, to center on this one word in the prayer uh, that we pray every week. Um, but especially in these coming 16 days to really just have this word, this sentence on our lips constantly. And that is the, the sentence, thy kingdom come. Like I keep looking for some result, some thing that's going to make, make this feel less terrible, whatever that would even mean. And the heart of the Christian, the heart of the Christ follower is always to look through it, to recognize that the thing that the world holds up as opaque, we actually see right through to something greater, to a better city, to a better kingdom. And so we pray with one voice, thy kingdom come. So would you pray with me? Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day, our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who've trespassed against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Grace and peace to you. Hope to see you in just a few minutes outside. Blessings.